I want you to do me a favor. Yeah, sure. I want you to hit me as hard as you can. What? Let it out. I want you to hit me. Trust me. Come on. Come on. Stop trying to hit me and hit me. Hit me, baby, one more time. And now, our feature presentation. And welcome to Hit Me One More Time, the Nostalgia Reflection Podcast that looks at the things that we loved when we were younger and asks the question, is this good? I'm David Luzader, and here, back with me, just the two of us, uh, like that Will Smith song, it's Nick Shermooksness. Nick, hello. Hello, David. I'm really sad that I could not reference the Will Smith song. Were you going to before. as soon as I said it? As soon as you said, I'm like, I was going to be like, uh huh, uh huh, but I did not. Well, I just did. Yeah, but I mean, you can't say you didn't because you did. I did out of context. Anyway, not lame. Um, <laughs> hey, David, how's it going? Oh, doing well. How are you, Nick? The listeners have been so concerned. Um, yeah, sorry to disappoint everyone. I I figured I would just you know give. I, I take up so much space on the show you know just because I, I do so much for it really i just thought i'd give everyone a break for a little bit but now i'm back and i'm happy to uh indulge that's not i mean that's not true people we love nick we love having nick here and we love it when nick picks topics yes we uh episode 30 for those who listened you know we had to just due to some timing and life stuff we had to skip kind of doing our usual thing uh and instead we're doing it right now episode 31 but we'll just continue on with the cycle. Episode 40 will be my pick again. And Nick, you brought to us this week, you brought the Andalite Chronicles. We're, we'll talk a little bit about Animorphs in general, but I think we're going to mostly focus in on this one topic, but it's going to be hard to ignore the greater series. Anyway, the Andalite mm-hmm. Chronicles is a science fiction children's book that tells the story of Andalite, Elfingor, Sirenial, Shamtol. Right on a life-changing journey during the war with the villainous Yerks, who are gross little brain slugs, uh, which is another name for podcasts. I I really like. Um, I guess this isn't exclusive to animorphs or or children's books, but just like when. But I felt like in this book, and we'll, we can dive into this later. Like a lot, of, they spend a lot of time sort of comparing, you know, Andalite culture with like Ugh. Earth culture, and like. It feels like when you're trying to design an alien race, you have to make it act like Alfangor, Cyrenel, Shamtil is just such like a, I don't even know what that is, like as a name, but it's like, it just has to barely be pronounceable. And it's like, okay, we're good with that. I have so many, uh, I have so many thoughts on series, not just this series, but series in general, when aliens encounter humans and they're like oh such weird primitive creatures with their mouths uh that's like i guess a hint on my feelings on it we'll we'll talk more about that but at this moment we're going to talk about our personal histories you and i nick have both in the past mentioned a a love for animorphs when we were younger um i'd be curious though to know your own personal history with the animorph series and with the andalite chronicles if you so remember specifically that yeah i mean in terms of like like really specific moments it's a little difficult but animorph is for me as i imagine it was for a lot of kids i remember uh i was in elementary school and i can't remember how many books maybe had come out at that point maybe like the first like maybe less than 10 maybe just over 10 something like that um and i was in a bookstore and i saw the the the, you know the morphing cover um and i was like oh this is this looks this is interesting uh and i think as a kid too i just i uh I don't really know if I necessarily had a fascination with, with shape shifting specifically, but but certainly after Animorphs, like it just as you know, when you're a kid and you know, whether you're bullied or just you feel misunderstood, whether you are actually misunderstood or not, unclear. Um, but you just like you you're you're fascinated by the idea of being someone else or something else. And I think that was an itch that Animorph scratched for me on top of the galactic stakes that a bunch of you know preteens or whatever we're dealing with um so and then beyond that uh, I, I remember like specifically there was a memory 
um i think i was in the, maybe i was in the fifth grade at this point but like uh, my mom who was really into computers and i think she was trying to dabble in like photoshop like that you know this is like 25 years ago so like um like early photoshop and stuff which did exist back then uh in the before times um she like was really intent on like figuring out how to recreate the animorph covers but like have me be the kid transforming into i don't know a panther or something if i recall um so it was definitely a, a series that i really dug into uh for a while and i never actually finished it um I, I maybe i got about halfway through um but along the way you know they had released these spinoff books like the andalite chronicles and the hork bajar chronicles uh, and even though the, the the main books like you know the, the, it's still a fantastical story but it's like it still was really centered on earth and i think when i was introduced to the Andalite chronicles the fact that it was really just so out there just in concept you know for my younger self like that was just mind-blowing for me and i just i really really dug into these books and i'll share a bit more sort of other elements of the book that i think i really resonated with me uh later on but that's sort of the, the initial gist of it hmm. yeah what about you yeah same you know it, it really was a cultural phenomenon for people our age in grade school you know it, they were super popular we were we were all picking them up i don't remember how far i read into it um as well i really cannot remember i know it was before uh david was a character and david is like there's like a five book uh kind of overarching story where there's another kid named david and uh i know like it ends pretty dark um he there's like a fight to the death or like someone attempts to kill him and uh, my understanding is that he eventually gets trapped in a rat body and left on an island. It's pretty messed up. But I know that I never read those books. I just remember other people telling me about that story. Um, I definitely was reading it around the time that this and the the Hork Bajar, Bajir, I'm still not sure, uh, the Hork Bajar Chronicles came out. Because I remember reading the Hork Bajar Chronicles. Like, I remember the cover distinctly. Like owning yeah. it and looking at it, I probably read this one. I don't remember in the same way of like looking at the cover and like even like some excerpts, like not excerpts, but you just you know like a, like the memory of reading the book, like you remember like the look of the pages and even like recall some of the words, even if you don't remember really what it was that you were reading. Um, welcome to David attempts to describe thought in a free a association. <laughs> uh, it's, it's what you've been clamoring for for years. I remember being super into the TV show when that came out. Um, I like I, the six episodes it aired, but yeah, go ahead. It, it was, was it was two seasons. There was like 26 episodes. Are they got up to X? Really? Yeah. I thought it ended on like, maybe, I don't know if I ever saw it when it was on TV and I just had like a VHS tape of like the first four episodes or something, but I thought it got canceled after like six episodes. No, there, oh, were, yeah. there were 26 20, episodes. 26 You're right. Episodes. Yeah. It, it was on for two seasons. Someone's uh, hunting this down at some point. Go on. <laughs> yeah. It has, uh, has, um, Oh, what's his name? Uh, Sean, Sean Ashmore. Uh, yes. Iceman. Ice slash... Yeah. Kind of his like, you know, I think his biggest role is probably I spin. I like Sean Ashmore. I've, I've liked him and stuff I've seen him in. Um, not the point of what we're we're here to talk about. Uh, other than that, with Animorphs, it's just something that kind of fell off in my life. But I always, I've always maintained this loose curiosity about it, where I've looked up how it ends. I've looked up sort of some of the major plot plot points at different times. Um, I have flirted with the idea of like, am I going to read these? Because I'll come across like the entire collection of books that people have and they're selling them for like 20 bucks. And it's like, I could just get it right now for dirt cheap and lie to myself that I will eventually read these uh, has not yet happened. This is the closest I've come in a very, 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 very long time. And I have some thoughts. Hmm? Yeah. I'm just saying you're welcome. <laughs> yes. Thank uh, for you. Bridging, for bridging the gap. Yeah. We'll see. We'll see how I feel at the end of all of this. But before we start to break down what we liked, what we didn't like, Nick, can you tell us about the world's history with Andalite Chronicles and a little bit Animorphs in general? For sure, David. 
Catherine Applegate and her husband, Michael Grant, began publishing the Animorph series of books in 1996 under the name K.A. Applegate. Um, in the first year and a half, the series had close to 10 million copies in print. The Andalite Chronicles were originally published as three separate parts in 1997 before later being collected in one edition. The story takes place roughly 20 years before the start of the series itself, and a second companion book set before the Andalite Chronicles called the Hork-Bajir Chronicles was published one year later. The later half of the Animorph series was, were ghost-written with Applegate and Grant overseeing the story. The books were published until 2001, and a television series was produced from 1998 to 2000. Currently, a movie is said to be in production with the involvement of Applegate or Grant. Without, without sorry, yeah. without the involvement of Applegate or Grant. Yes, yes. The two of them, um, I saw something about this the other day, the two of them, I think were originally um, part of it, and then creative differences, you know, usual excuse for why is the original creator no longer part of this. Yeah, that's fair. I didn't. I think. I think I knew that the later half of the books were ghost written. Most, except um, for like the last two, were written by them again. Um, but a lot of the latter, like from number twenty-five to almost the end, it's it's pretty much other people ghost writing them. Interesting. I'm curious, sort of, why that happened. But cool. I think. I think uh, part or, of it was like the series itself was growing so much. Like the like the show was probably around that time and. Mm, um, you yeah. know, I just, I would imagine that they were very busy people. Yeah. I mean, 1996 and then they had the show come on in 1998 and to 2000, like, and I mean, really that, that isn't that long of a chunk of time. I mean, how long did it take for all the Harry Potter books to come out? Right. And these were, I mean, these books, there's a ton of books individuals individually, but, mm -hmm. um, I 50. mean, each, each volume wasn't particularly long. 64 um, still books in total, I think. Yeah, if you count like all the like the megamorphs yeah. and the the spinoffs and stuff like that. The companion. So so apparently, right. I found a little more information here. Uh, she'd originally uh, intended to write them all herself, um, but then there's a number of contributing factors, such as the birth of her child and the difficulties involved in writing Everworld, uh, which was originally intended to be mostly ghosts written, and yet I guess Applegate ended up writing all of those. Uh, she ended up having a large number of the books ghost written there towards the end. So, life, man. Life, life. You know, I should hire a ghostwriter for my yeah for all your for all your projects uh, for all for all my projects. I mean, maybe they'd actually get off the ground if someone actually wrote them. Oof. Uh, fair. Rough <laughs> fair. but true. Um. Yeah, it's true. But um, yeah. So I guess regardless of how the books came into being, the fact is they were being and um i i love them like i you know great i mean i think it, I, I can't say for sure you know, i didn't really grow up in 2001 you know i was in i guess i was going into middle school maybe i guess i i think maybe back then actually you know i was definitely one of those kids where i was like overly concerned with my reputation and like you know i distinctly remember say bringing a power ranger zord to like a first grade show and tell and being made fun of which is weird but yeah um, first grade Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I just remember moments like that sort of inf informing my sense of like, you know, I don't want to be too forward with my interest. And you kind of get to that age where it's also sort of like, all right, well, now I'm, you know, I'm actually not too old, but I'm telling myself I'm too old for this stuff. And like, even though there's that little part of my my inside and my soul that that loves Animorphs, like quietly being like, you're you're fine like you're you know you're fine i i think i just drifted away from that point and that was yeah that yeah. sounds about right if it was around the halfway point yeah I, um, and i and i don't remember why like i i don't have like a distinct sort of thing cuz i i was still hanging out with the nerds um in middle school still full on full on that train for better for for worse uh, for better i'm i'm joking for for better uh there was some light bullying but i didn't get it as bad as some of my my other friends which is um rough i don't i don't want to get into that right now i've just i feel really bad for some of the ways that my friends were were bullied and that i wish i'd kind of stood up for them a little bit more in the past wow getting very real in the animorphs talk uh not unlike this book not unlike this book yeah this the so that that's one thing about the animorph series and they still has a very dedicated fan base of people probably roughly around our age um 
who are still super into it. And, and it's just fascinating to kind of hear them talk about it because like they remember all these plot points that I don't. And, they, and, and just how dark the series gets. And this book also itself gets very dark. Very, very dark. Very dark. Yeah. And now I'm actually wondering to myself if there's like some fan fiction out there of like the kids after they've grown up, like Jake, you know, he's he's a 40-something-year-old with a dad bod and, you know, but like he just wants to morph that one last time and uh, you, then I don't know, Batman shows up or I something. Mean, you don't know how the last book ends, do you? Uh, I do not. So don't say anything. Okay. Well, I, I know that one of the kids dies, but uh, spoilers. Um, but I always am never sure which one it is. So somebody. if and when I ever get around to going back and, and rereading the series, which in theory won't take me too long because you can really read a book in like two hours at our reading level. Yeah, I, uh, I read this book over the course of a couple of days in between doing other tasks in my life. Yes, it, it won't. It won't impose on you. You know, you can you can carry on, go to the gym, pick up your groceries, and finish Animorphs all in one go. Yep, while you're driving in between those places, which uh, we totally Eat, recommend, especially you... during those times. Definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah don't yeah. Yeah. Text, wear a seatbelt though, for sure. Texting and driving is so passe. It's uh, it's reading and reading yeah. and driving now is what it's all about. Reading Animorphs and driving specifically. Yes. Um, I mean the book. To be fair, to be fair. The books are small and light, and it, it'd be one thing if you were, say, reading Harry Potter, you know, uh, five in driving, which is a fairly heavy book, versus, like, I feel like you could really toss an Animorph book quickly uh, in the event that you're swerving into the other lane. You know what I okay. mean? Anyway, I think I think we're going to move on from this because I don't want to get arrested. Um, but, and, Andalite Chronicles. Yeah. Andalite Chronicles. The, and like <laughs> drive with your seatbelt, people. Um, the yeah. So as I had said in, in my intro, the 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 book, you know, it, it felt like, you know, when, when you're on Earth and the other books, and like it's Earth being invaded by these alien elements, whereas Andalite Chronicles immediately drops you into the alien world and actually compares that to humans instead of vice versa. So and also given this is a book that came out in like the late you know 90s and i know there's a part of you david that's kind of groaning inside about the oh comparing you know human artificial skin shoe things to hooves and you know how silly and it, it is silly but i mean i speaking from the perspective of like my childhood self that kind of writing was i either completely new or relatively new to me so i was definitely fascinated with how and and when i was reading this book you know today you know so to speak um I was I was both appreciating it as an adult, but also trying to throw my mind back to my childhood self and being like, wow, like I can see how a concept like XYZ, you know, may have been mind blowing to me at the time, even if it seems like old hat now. My my what what gets under my skin about these comparisons is that the Andalites are a spacefaring race. Uh, there are a lot of other races that have gone into space and are part of this war. And they've seen how evolution takes a lot of different tracks. And then they see humans walking around on two legs and like, I don't understand how they're walking around without falling down. Where are their tails? They have mouths. That's such an ineffective form of communication. I eat with my hooves. What? I? You think you're a superior race because you eat your hooves? What? That I mean, The Andalites are... I mean, they, they they view themselves as like the like the advanced, you know, where the enlightened race were fight. Like, and there's there are merits to that. It's just the way that it's written to this book, where it's like, I was so shocked when the human did this because that's not how Andalites do things. It's like you know, there's other races. You right d- like, see that humans you- are weird. I mean, he does comment on some of the other races, like when he describes the Tacitans, who are arguably uh, almost as worth humans Disco- uh, horrifying creatures the taxons that whole segment of the book is just like he describes the taxon as these bloodthirsty like cannibalistic um centipede monsters or they're, something like that yeah they're i've looked up some pictures there's a couple like official pictures a slug centipede kind of 
and they yeah and they've got like their little round mouths full of a bunch of teeth they're pretty horrifying and they're cannibalistic got stuck is that yeah yeah so what are the so for people who might not be familiar with uh with anamorphs and andalites and all that uh the andalites are uh, this this race of centaur like creatures um who somehow think that fighting with a tail is the superior form of combat. Uh, But their tail has a scythe on it. It does have a scythe on it, yes. The tails, they're very (laughs) cool. Uh, But they have created this ability to touch other races or creatures, anything anything that's not in Andalite. They can touch it, and uh, it allows them to morph into these creatures. That's the main conceit of the book, is the kids get powered by an Andalite actually this very Andalite, in order to be able to do that, uh, to fight the Yerks. And uh, at one point in this story, because uh, it follows this Andalite when he's like a young private in the military and gets whisked away on this mission uh, with another private and this like kind of crazy, angry uh, other Andalite. They go to the planet grizzled of... Veteran. Yeah, the grizzled, grizzled veteran who did some pretty messed up stuff because war is hell. Uh, and they go to the planet with the Texans, and they, in order to blend in, they have to turn into Texans. And uh, since we're being told the story from Elfingor's point of view, he is describing just how horrible it is to be one of these creatures. Not because of the way their body moves or anything, uh, but be- no body shaming. No, no body shaming here. Though some really good body horror in this and in other parts of the series, because like your body changing into these creatures is pretty. Uh, terrifying, but they mm-hmm. uh, the the taxons because you don't you don't just take on their appearance you take on kind of like their physiology in general yes. like in, in their instincts and stuff. So these taxons have this unending hunger, and anything that is weaker than them that they can eat they will, uh, and that means even members of their own race if they get hurt. They they leap on them and eat them, and it's disgusting and rightfully horrifying in the book. And one of the Andalites in the story gets trapped as one of those forever. Forever. That that was so. I think the best way to describe this book is heartbreaking, and I think especially from and this I, and uh, before earlier I had alluded to this, but like these are some of the elements that I, I'm honestly re- rereading it. Um, have informed like when I you know sit around and, and come up with all these great ideas that eventually I'll hire ghostwriters for. Uh-huh. Um, like the book is in its own way like really existential. Uh, it's bittersweet. It's it's heartbreaking. Just like really, <laughs> not nothing goes well mm-hmm. during the whole course of the book. The book ends on sort of a message of hope. Like you know, uh, I I I feel confident that that stuff's going to be okay things are going to be okay uh, but i'm not going to be a part of that aka alluding to the the children that feature in the the star and the animorphs books um but other than that like it's basically just elfangor uh, you know screwing up like the entire thing and having completely dire and drastic consequences for everyone involved including himself yeah yeah i mean it's it it really paints with the whole war is hell brush pretty well in the series that was one thing the series was very good at uh it is like and then you, you have the the dichotomy here of um of elf and gore being like we have to fight with our ideals and then uh what's his name i can't remember the, the name of the alloran alloran the grizzle veteran yeah alloran um is like war is not pretty and we all have to do bad stuff and i wiped out the the hork apparently and like there's there's almost times where, like, I mean, there definitely are times where I'm like, yeah, Alloran gets it. Alloran knows what's up because the, the, you guys are in war and that sucks. But there's also something, because it's a kid's book, it has, as you said, that optimism of, like, a major plot point is that Alloran wants to blow up this ship that has a bunch of Yerks in it. And Yerks are these brain slugs that can't do much on their own. They're actually really... <laughs> They're really interesting that they are such a major threat to the universe because they can't be in a host for more than three days, which seems right. ineffective uh, to like being this number one conquering race in the galaxy. But be- 
and they and they never made a Yurk Chronicles series. So like, and maybe they explain it in some of the books. But I, I would that was one of my thoughts too, going along with it, where it was like, like how like I know they made a deal with the Taxons, but how? Like, how did these slugs get advanced enough where they had their own spaceships? Did they just like wait on their planet until a, a more powerful species came by and then stole them like i'm really curious about how they did come to be the threat that they are and and that has come up um i know there are several stories about that or that talk about i i i I really don't know the specifics of it um and i really should not be looking at the the seropedia the animorphs wiki about the yurks right now I know. I think there is like there is like a good yerk later, or like a yerk that uh, is friendly. A yerk who's not a jerk. <laughs> a yerk who's not a jerk, which is all we want in this galaxy. Also, uh, I still have the the taxon uh, image search up, and apparently there was a taxon action figure. And I'm just thinking to myself, who wanted that? Um, I do now. <laughs> I'll take one. <laughs> I think that sounds uh, that sounds pretty sweet. Uh, I mean, really I don't remember what I was saying before about the uh, the Yurks and the, and the Taxons, but I, I'll, I'll turn now to highlight, because I, I, I made notes of several points in this book. I highlighted several instances that I that were interesting to me. So they, they introduced these two humans, uh, Lorne and Chapman. I guess it's, is it supposed to be pronounced Lauren, but it's, I don't know. I pronounced it Lauren. Lorin. Lorin. The first time that they meet her, or or that Elfengor meets her, is uh, aboard this ship after they've been abducted by uh, by the Skritna. the Skritna, and she is like kind of like got a handle on the situation a little bit. She's got like a gun and like taking care of it. But as soon as she like, she's in this very tense situation where there's all these aliens, and she's like, she's talking about like the gun she has and calls it a phaser. She's like, oh, a phaser, like on the old Star Trek show. I can't believe they took it off the air. Now it's just on reruns. <laughs> that's that's your that's your thought. That's what you're expressing in this moment. I mean, you're 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 on an alien ship. You never knew aliens existed until five seconds ago. You have the upper hand in a situation, and like, I mean, I don't know what else your mind could think about at that time you know it's like an intrusive thought that like you just kind of need to let go like let let sure. through you blow through you and apparently it was uh some uh, nostalgia about star trek oh well she's supposed to be like 13 i think at the beginning of the book um i know i think she's isn't she like 60 unless so, so i know later on jumping ahead real quick like they end up in that time vortex pocket dimension or whatever and and then they they do age, and supposedly she like ages to over eighteen. But I I I had assumed that she was like sixteen in the book. No, I don't think they ever directly state her age. But for some reason, because because the kids in the original story are um, like starting like middle school, so I guess I just had it in my head that she too was was in middle school. I remember what I was what I was going to say earlier because we were talking about. Alorin and Elfengor having like they like the dichotomy of the you know fighting with ideals and you know fighting in a way that that is quote unquote effective where Alorin wants to kill all these yurks who aren't in hosts but Elfengor is like that's not very sporting of us chap that's for some reason I had to say that in a semi-British accent that's, that's just what, that's what Andalites sound that's, like I it, mean they're 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 not American so they must sound British yeah, Basically. like it's the Star Wars logic. <laughs> anyway, she but uh, he wants to. Uh, Elfengor is like, no, that's not how we fight. That's not how we as Andalites, the vastly superior race of the galaxy, do not make these fights or do not make these sorts of of choices. And there are times where that comes back to to bite him in the butt. And like you kind of get the idea in this and in other parts. Like the Andalites are doing okay. They're not really necessarily winning, but they're doing right. okay. Right. And I mean, it's that sort of, I guess, war propaganda, military propaganda that like, you know, Alfangers is, the, you know, the, in the beginning of the book. And I think overall, the book does a really good job of, you know, setting up these sort of naive notions about what it means to be a hero and a warrior and, and, and fighting in a war. And then just like really slaps you around, you know, until you get to the end and you're just sobbing and crying on the couch. Um, 
it is really interesting that they are such children's books. And they and they are. Like the writing in this book, there's no paragraph that's more than like three sentences long. Uh and it's it's pretty simplistic in its word usage and stuff like that. Like you know, kudos to uh to Applegate and Grant for writing and conceiving such a complex, deep, detailed story that they then wrote in a way that's very easily accessible. Um also to the point for the most part. For the for the most part, uh except for some of these dang names. Uh and but like Elfengor a little bit is like has that na- na- naivety, naivete that I guess kids can relate to more, right? Where even with like the Yurks being the the vile creatures of the galaxy that are are invading everyone and taking over everything he still is like, no, it's it's not right. It's not the noble thing to do to to kill your unarmed enemy. And I think that resonates and is a better message with children versus Aloran, who like maybe we as cynical adults are like, yeah, he's right. Like, kill all these Zerks now and you're going to stop, you know, presumably thousands of people from or creatures from being enslaved. And that would be the effective thing to do. But is it right? And I guess there's consequences to being right. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that it was really poignant from that point of view of, of having Elfinger go from the, you know, the idealistic young person to be to basically having every aspect of his ideas challenged. And from a kid's perspective, like, you know, both in terms of the the events that happen and, and just sort of the way that they're presented narratively. Like I remember when uh, Arbron, you know, like has this final scene and I mean, th- there's the whole thing where like he tries to force Elfangor to kill him, oh, and you know, that was so dark. There, which is, that was which is so intense. And then, you know, and then like you know, eventually they leave the planet, and Arbron's like, "I'm staying behind." And just the whole time in my head, I'm like, like I'm waiting for that scene where like, no, 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 like they they'll find a way to like he can they'll give Arbron the morphing technology ability again, and he'll just like combine a bunch of andalites or something. Like I just kept hoping for that hope, and I think in like your average fairy tale children's story, in some cases at least maybe in a more like sanitized Americanized one, like you expect everything, you expect some trouble, but you kind of expect like all the good guys to come out unscathed. And this was really a book that for kids like us that were probably like nine, 10, 11 years old when we were reading them, where it's just like, this isn't going to go wrong. This isn't going to go, sorry, this isn't going to go right. This isn't going to go right. And I mean, as an adult, I mean, enough has not gone right in my life, not too much, but enough that like, I can, I can appreciate really the, the realism of the story in that regard. But from a kid's perspective, that must just, I, I think that really affected me now, like reflecting back on when I originally read these books. Yeah, I, I get that. I, I really do. Though I want to go back to Elfengor's uh, naivete, as I as I'm gonna call it, because there is a point in this book where it drives me crazy, and that is when he doesn't. It takes him too long to realize that Chapman has very obviously been infected by a yerk. Just because they they do their big great big daring fight, um, and that's another thing too with with uh, the the taxon because they meet this like group of rebellious Texans who refuse to be controlled and they they help them in this battle but they go into it knowing like you're gonna lose there's there's no way that like you can win this fight you're you're gonna be completely outmatched and it's just like yeah but at least we can make a stand you know at least at least we can make it known how we oppose them and that's just like that's heavy that's heavy stuff but at the end of that uh Elfengor gets back on the ship with with Lauren and Chapman, and it's like so easy. They're like standing by the ship, and he's just like, "Yeah, this is fine. There's certainly this is not a trap in any way whatsoever." Uh, when, by the way, it very clearly is. It 100 percent is a trap. It just, ugh. and he like has a line of like, "I wouldn't realize until later that he was tricking me." It's like, "Come on, man! Don't point out your own stupidity." <laughs> Which I mean is is a, is a, is a good characteristic to to understand your own failings, uh, and it was I mean certainly from our perspective it was super obvious, but I also imagine like with the mental state that Elfanger was in at the time, you know, teaming up with a bunch of rebel taxons, you know, doesn't know where Aloran is, you know, is super consumed by 
Arbron's played and like he sees Lauren who he's already got the hots for and he can't quite figure out why. Um, and just, you know, he just had like a singular goal and he went with it. And I, you know, I, I can understand the blunder, even though it, you know, was super obvious reading it that, you know, Chapman is a dick. Yeah. I even have the line, uh, like pulled up here. He says a line when they get on the ship. Uh, yeah, I guess because it, because Chapman, or Elfengor sees Chapman on the planet talking to the bad guys and being like, I have something that you're going to want. And then smash cut to us later seeing him. When he's like, oh, like don't you realize the Yerks are the bad guys is what they're saying to Chapman. He's like, yeah, I guess that's what I realized after a while. Chapman said, look, I'm sorry, okay? I'm just a dumb human kid, okay? Give me a break. It's like, he's very obviously, <laughs> very obviously a Yerk. If the thing I is, I am a dumb human. Yeah, human, human. I'm just a dumb human kid. But it's like I, re- oh, I realized they were the bad guys, and it's like, yeah, they told you explicitly that they were the bad guys like twenty times. But he also, like, he says, he also has these things where he, when, when after Chapman betrays them and 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 bargains with them, and and he and uh, Elfanger sees Lauren and Chapman being carted off by the Yerks. And he's just like, he, he like starts like rationalizing himself. He's like, you know what? Chapman won't say anything. Like it's his only, it's his only like right. ticket out of here or some crap like that. And I'm like, these are the Yerks. And I mean, they don't even need to bargain with him. They literally, he's powerless. They can hold him down, put a Yerk in his head and right. take all that information. Like, yeah. why wouldn't you expect that to happen first, regardless of chap what Chapman may or may not do? Right. This race that is known for enslaving everybody they come across, they're surely going to just talk to him for a while. You know, I feel like doing this the old-fashioned way. You tell me your thoughts. <laughs> right. It's just so boring when I can just get in there and get exactly what I want. <sighs> a, a weird aside. Um, so setting the scene first, there's, there's a part where basically, like, shit's hit the fan. The, they're, they're being pulled into a black hole... Um, yeah. they, they're on board. Also, uh, long story short, Aloran, the, the grizzled veteran Andalite ultimately gets controlled by a Yurk that originally tried to control Alfangor. And so there becomes sort of like a blood feud, um, between them. Uh, so the Yurk Andalite and Alfangor and Lauren and Chapman are on this, on the ship being pulled into which, a black hole and they uh, have the time matrix, which we haven't even brought up. Oh, yet. right. The time matrix. I just want to point the out because there's a lot of stuff I think you and I that I've had to go back and, and pull up that we, like, there would be a lot reading this book at the point that it comes in the series that would be very exciting because Visor 3, which is what the, the, the Yurk ultimately becomes, is like the main antagonist for a lot of the Andalite book. So that's important. Anyway, back to the black hole you were talking about. Yeah, so they get pulled in the black hole and they have this time matrix thing. Don't worry about it. We can maybe circle back to that. But it you know allows you to travel through time and stuff. And so basically, at the pivotal moment, uh, Lauren, um, Alfangor, and the Yurk Andalite all touch it. And then basically, they wake up in this pocket dimension, universe, whatever they've created, that's sort of just a mishmash of Andalite Earth, Andalite's world, Earth, and the Yurk world. And I forgot my point again. Why? Why I, I want to point out one of my favorite things from that, uh, that segment, though, when they are in the, the Time Matrix Vortexy part is when they find lauren's mom because she says something you think you kids invented andalites we had andalites when i was your age too which just made me think of like us as parents and if our kids were to come across animorphs like they just started releasing the animorphs um, graphic novels or at least the first graphic novel hopefully successful enough to be but just imagine like kids these days now around that age discovering it and just us being like ah we had andalites when i was a kid too we had andalites yeah i know when I was my age. my niece uh really got into uh, animorphs and I, in my head i'm you know i'm i'm just like oh crap like well first i'm old and mm-hmm. second like you may have read animorphs but i was molded by it <laughs> um well she maybe she was too i don't know i know like that, that it's that it's that reaction right of like ah you kids I, I was reading this as they were coming out, which like doesn't make it any more special. You know? <laughs> it doesn't at all. Um, but I think that the aside I was getting to in, in the pocket world, um, I guess the Andalite, the Yurk Andalite 
has like his own pets that he like calls yeah. forth into being because basically this idea was that this isn't wasn't actually a real universe it was just like a mishmash of memories sort of creating something uh and he has these i guess equivalent of dogs except they have organic, they have organic wheels which wheels. i thought was hilarious organic wheels whatever that looks like and then also but they're already initially in two pieces and then when you like slash them in half they regrow into there's just more of them. They, and I just thought that the description of the things was just so ridiculous. It is they, they, it is the most insane concept for a biological creature because evolution is a big part of the Andalites or the like the the Animorphs series. Like evolution comes up a lot. All of these uh, races and stuff like evolved in these ways. It's it's you know this is a, a book without divine intervention or what's i forget what the, the name of it is now at least at least seemingly they talk a lot about like all these creatures evolved and i just what in what way did a creature ever evolve wheels and then like well i need us need to also have two parts that can operate independently of one another uh one that can fly around like a bat and the other that can just ride around on the wheels trying to numb on people well you know um wheels are when, fascinating when and a maybe bat, they were when just a bat loves kids. a car <laughs> um yeah exactly i mean it was just you know it's like the transformers world like just you know robots in disguise driving and something with wheels Those and dogs robots. And robot dog organic organic robots um, okay sure, and you know, yeah, it's like yeah. in, in my in my head while i'm picturing these things it's all I kind of a picture is like I for some reason I I cannot form an image of what organic wheels look like because right? I just think of like my skin like you know like kind of trampling around in a circular motion uh, like like a wheel and you know it just sounds painful and terrifying like my skin's constantly getting pulled or something so all i like in my head i'm reading that scene really all i just think is that there's like that those old like red wagons that were really popular and then it had like a bat sure. riding a wagon yeah. that was organic it was a super just weird the idea because the idea of organic wheels is just it seems gross to me for some reason i don't know i i also love the image of it it's it's a hilarious to me in my head the way these little creatures looked it's true and uh, and you know it it made for uh, again another one more terrifying scene during the whole uh, and of course like they get introduced in these terrifying things where it's like oh my god they replicate and, and then like in their final scene you know lauren's beating them down with a baseball bat and she's getting like lady death strike nail claws things that she's just like ripping through them that was also weird um but anyway, just, that was just like an aside where she, like it was just a really interesting addition to the whole. Yeah, she's like cannon. she's like choking one at one point in her like nails because they're close to like the center of the time matrix vortex, which if we have time, we'll talk about the time matrix more. Would, <laughs> just a pivotal part of the book that we barely touched. It's not on. it's not important, but she like her fingernails are growing at such a rate that it pierces through this thing's neck and kills it, which is metal. First Which of all, metal, but also like, I mean, nails are strong. Yes. But like, it presumably it would hurt. It would hurt her more. Yes. I would think like, I don't know if it would just automatically go stabbing into someone. He talks right. about uh, how her toenails were growing out of her shoes. Yeah. And right. Like, oof. would it eventually break a shoe even? I, or I, like, would that it would just hurt grow so bad up into your Foot. Oh god. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'm not gonna get that. Let's let's we talk. Don't. Let's, let's talk about the time matrix. No, let's no. Well, lead us away. We're running low on time, so let's just skip to the ending. We'll get back to the time matrix. We have more time. Um, <laughs> this is like the Matt Damon of animals. Yeah. No, that's pretty much at this point. Because like, I want to talk about the ending because it's it it is so interesting that sh that uh, the the way that it wraps up is very Deus Ex Machina. In a way that makes me go, huh? Uh, because they, Elfengor takes the, and okay, the time matrix is a thing that was created that if somebody touches it, they can travel back to the time and place that they imagine, or, or the place or the time or the time and place they imagine. It's, it seems Something to be able like to, to travel 
in space and time. But if multiple multiple people touch it, but then like it, but here's the question: Does it actually take you to that place, or does it take you to another universe? Like, it do, do you seem get, to hint at divergent timelines there in the in the finale? That's what I'm saying because like if it takes all three of them to a place where those ideas in their head were all mushed together, then it seems like, oh, these are, it's, it's trying to transport you to a place where this reality exists as you want it. And because it's three of you, it's all kind of mushing together, but it doesn't like, it didn't destroy the world. It just took them to this weird place. It's also true because when they, when they use it again to escape the, the vortex world, you know, he says like, you know, she's like, I'm older now. Like I'm over 18. Like no one's going to know me. And he's like, well, just think that everyone knew you to be 18 when you left. So it does warp reality somehow yes. in, in that regard. So I think it, it is that sort of like the basis is that there is sort of a single timeline that keeps getting broken. Uh, or manipulated, but it's ultimately the same thing. Um, yeah. What I yeah. what I love about that too is it implies that none of her friends will have aged. So if she's like somewhere between fourteen and sixteen, as an eighteen year old, she was just hanging out with a bunch of uh, freshmen. Not weird at all. I'm sure. Not weird at all. Let's. And, no, go ahead. Uh, but, Oh, no, I was just going to say, so, so it, and just to describe the, you know, that finale a little bit, basically, so the Alfangor and Lauren escape also totally hot for each other. Yeah, they uh, are. They, ooh, they want it they, bad. They, yeah, it was, it was steamy for a kid's book. Um, they, so Alfangor doesn't feel like he can go back home to his planet with everything that has happened. So they go to Earth um, and basically Alfangor takes on a human form. Um, by mixing a bunch of different human DNA, which he says, like, I managed to get a bunch of different human DNA. Yeah. And I'm still wondering how a giant centaur, scorpion-tailed dude managed to stealthily get said DNA. Yeah. I guess he could turn into, like, a bird and then poke someone, like, steal their pretzel. Well, he could turn into... Uh, but I can't remember if they... Because Axe does the same thing. Axe touches the the main Animorphs kids, and then he creates a a, a face based on all of them. But I don't remember if they can absorb other alien or other DNA while they're morphed. Because like I was thinking, he could have turned into Lauren and then gone and just like high fived a bunch of people. Uh, hey, hey. Um, not important, but he does that. And so, long story short, he he settles on Earth, uh, marries, like goes to college. He's super smart above everyone else because he of his and like technology, which is always Bill Gates and Steve Jobs. Yes. <laughs> Um, but and just like, all right, I have to be stupid that's, this whole time. That's part of the book. He mentions Steve and Bill. He does. I didn't even pick up on that. You're right. Yeah, because he's talking about like he because oh. he, he goes into computers because he's so smart and humans are so primitive. Uh, but yeah, he influences Steve Gates. In, anyway, continue on because then he then things take a turn. Things take a turn, and so he marries Lauren. Uh, and one day, Lauren's at the doctor's. And he goes home, and in his living room is basically God. Um, an Elemist. And an Elemist, which are the creators of the Time Matrix, and supposedly no one knew if they were real or not. Spoilers, they're real. And this was a really interesting scene. It was both poignant and, con and confusing, because the Elemist basically tells Elfangor, like, hey, you know, um, so basically I get what you did. And he, and he kind of, um, um, what's the word I'm looking for? He... He justifies, I guess, justifies might be the wrong word, but he basically says, like, uh, tells Alfanger that he did everything right to a degree, that he appreciated that Alfanger did things like sparing the, the the helpless Yurks and stuff like that, that um, that that's, that's something that everyone would do, and he did it, and, like, that's, it was something like, that's why we we trusted you or, or something like that. Anyway, mm -hmm. but... Regardless, Alfanger screwed things up. And basically by using the time matrix to they basically went back in time to like just after Lauren was initially kidnapped so that they wouldn't meet. And then they live out their lives. But because of this altering of the timeline, things that needed to happen weren't going to happen. And another so, thing that I thought was interesting, and I'm wondering how much it plays into the overall series that I never finished, was that the Elemists are also apparently 
in their own war against some other unseen so, force. Yeah, I was, I was going to tell you about this, because I, I looked this up, that uh, the, the this Elemis, who's not, his race is actually not, or I guess the Elemis is something he's become, unimportant, but he has already appeared in the, in the Animorph series before this book came out. Um, Interesting. And he is at war, or him and I don't know if there's any more of him, uh, is at war with something called Krayak. And Krayak is basically his like dark counterpart. So he's at war with with Krayak and uh a big part of the Elemist's um victory plan or part of his like plan, the way things are supposed to happen is that these kids are supposed to get the the morphing ability and become the Animorphs. They're very key to this whole war. So that's why He's coming to Elfingor and being like, hey, that's cool. You try to live a normal life, um, but sorry, I'm taking that away from you because in the in the fight of good versus evil, these kids, you, you got to give these kids morphing abilities. Right. And that, and I mean, and that was poignant because, I mean, we don't know it just yet, but like Elfingor obviously, or Alan Fangor. Uh, um, has settled into his life. And I mean, you, you can empathize that up to this point, he's been through so much trauma and like, he's, there's finally a moment of peace and like things like the Elemis being like, like you didn't think the Yerks were going to come here. Like they're over, they're in space overhead earth, like right now, you know, like base and then things aren't going to go right. So like you need to do this. And he never gets to say goodbye to Lauren. Like basically his whole relationship with Lauren is is kaput uh and he gets sent back to the original timeline sort of back in andalite space or whatever and goes on to become a war hero but what was confusing yes because sort of like he's having these visions with the elemist about like when he can see like the strands of the universe and every individual life is a strand blah blah blah, blah. um and he's and he finds out the elemist tells him that like lauren is pregnant with their kid and so he's like well uh, hell no like I'm, I'm not going at this point he's like well okay you kind of have to but then like don't worry because uh yes you're moving on and lauren's going to end up with a, another human um but your son will still be born somehow like yeah and it was unclear like did, did lauren never get kidnapped at this point did she get kidnapped but somehow got brought to earth safely in her mind erased like that maybe that gets picked up on in a future story because uh, I think in it was at the end of this book where I had read the first few pages of the first Animorph book afterwards just to, to see, and there was some mention that like Lauren, you know, before she disappeared, like had like a rough life or something like that. So I also get the feeling that maybe she knew more than she was supposedly supposed to. Yeah, I I I'm unsure. Uh, like you, I don't know. I she is Tobias's mother, um, but there's several instances of like things correcting themselves. Like Chapman is back because Chapman is the father to Melissa, who's one of the Animorphs. Uh, so the Elemis is do, kind of doing all this stuff. But then, yeah, where where I ultimately was confused as well is that he, I thought, okay, they're gonna take them back. He's gonna take them back to their the ship, the Jahar or whatever it was, like before it slips into the black hole, and we'll just kind of put things in a way that things can proceed normally. We'll get rid of the time matrix, etc. But it seems to be, so he did hide the time matrix on Earth. Everything happened. It's just that everything kind of gets changed around him to the sense, too, where he has been missing for now 10 years. He's He's been gone for this this like unknown amount of time and just shows up at this battle in space and he tells his captain and the captain is like, I believe you 100%. Uh, don't ever tell anybody that story again. <laughs> Checks out. Yeah. Uh, and that, that's and not that I'm going to sit here. I'm going to give this book big negative marks because of that. You know, endings can be hard to kind of come together and rationalize everything back into the box that it's supposed to be in when you're telling a story that matters but doesn't matter. It's fine. But it was a couple of like eyebrow raising, like, huh, moments there towards it the was end. confusing and i think what what i mean i can i can sort of buy into like okay the elements are these sort of not necessarily all powerful but very powerful like celestial beings um and that you know it sounds like he plucked elfangor and then he plucked chapman back from the black hole and put it like he, it sounds like he was able to move pieces rearrange them on the existing chessboard i guess is the right analogy so it wasn't so much that like yeah the events were like Elfangor did bury the time matrix on the planet, um, but it, 
it didn't matter some actions that he did because maybe people didn't know about it, but as long as he was where he had to be to get from one point to the other. Uh, and I mean, but really like the, the overall sadness of this story is that not only did like nothing, nothing went right for Alfangor, and in the end, he was basically forced to accept his own fate and be sacrificed, a sacrificial pawn in this greater game. Uh, and he basically just had to go along with it, which... You know, he has some some semblance of peace with it because he can he has this moment of sort of seeing how the strands play out, the death stranding maybe or the life stranding, I don't know. And um and but it's poignant, but it's sad, it's bittersweet. It's a very bittersweet end to a very sad, complicated mm. and and really terrifying book in a lot of ways. Yeah. And Elfingor gets eaten alive. That's how he dies. Alan Fangor. Alan Fangor. Well, Alan Fangor mysteriously disappears. That's never existed. Yeah, Visor 3 eats him alive. Wait. So uh, I guess I didn't get that far into the pages because he's, well, I it, thought he just died in front of the kids. No, no, no. The, the kids like come to him. He's like, take these morphing abilities and get out of here because some really messed up dude is coming. And then uh, Visor 3 shows up. And I think Tobias watches him get killed. But he shows up, a Visor 3 does, turns into this like crazy big monster and eats him. Apparently in the invasion, the kids can hear him dying as he's dying. Ooh. Yeah. So that's a delightful kid's romp. Uh, uh, elf. Yeah, poor Alf. <laughs> I mean, kind of does look like Alf in a way. We have, we have dove into the book, and I'm sure people who, like us, before us reading it, kind of had vague memories of... Uh, of Animorphs are maybe going like, wait a minute, really? That that kind of stuff happened in here? And of course, we want to know what you all think about the Animorphs books, but the question now is, Nick, I turn to you. We must answer, was this worth reading again today? Or if there's other people like us who are curious about an- Animorphs and maybe possibly revisiting it now as adults, would it be worth it or is it better just not to? You know, it's... You know, at the end of the day, it's a kid's book. Um, so really, it's not meant for our current demographic, which is totally cool. Um, what, but that being said, whether you're an adult or not and you want to read them, um, I think speaking of the Andalite Chronicles specifically, because I cannot speak to, in full confidence of the greater Animorphs in to- total, in totality, whatever, um, whatever missteps the book might have, like the overall package, I think is actually, it, I really enjoyed revisiting this and, you know, and, and it's seeing elements of it, narratively speaking, that sort of maybe inform some of my own ideas that I've brought forth and or it, some ideas that have been brought forth into my own story creations. Um, and then just, just the nature of it and how sort of real the book is, despite how ridiculous it is and bittersweet and all of that. And it's, it's it's a hard book and it's a hard book to you know i guess it depends on your kid's age like i think it's a, a good book to give your kids mm. actually because i mean let's say we all grow up and you know life gets more serious we understand the stakes more and i i there's you know i do think it's important to prepare kids for stuff like that i don't necessarily want to throw them into an active war zone right uh, and there's a way to sort of ease them in and this is a good example of something that might help with that so is this still good yes yeah, I I think I have, obviously I've said some things where I think the writing is a bit cheesy at parts. Um, it's very much written towards kids, it's the, but that's not a ding against the book. I think, like you're saying, Nick, I would gladly encourage my kids to to read this book. You know, we've done a couple books on here now, and, you know, we talked about Mr. Popper's Penguins. I, I It was fine. Didn't really feel like I would, I'd actively give my kids these books, but I wouldn't keep it away from them. If they showed interest in science fiction and this kind of stuff, like I would gladly be like, hey, check out this really cool series and then come to me when it starts getting really depressing and let's talk about some of the rougher stuff and the morality and all that because I think that is a great way to start those conversations, like you said, kind of at, at that age. And also, as an adult, me here, I'm pretty curious about all of this because I remember... Even this has a lot of creativity to it. There's a lot of really interesting ideas, uh, really interesting characters. And I want to want to kind of experience the whole story. I don't know if I ever will. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't know if I ever will. Maybe I'll use my kids as an excuse of like, sure, I'll read these with you. 
but right now in my life, like I just kind of have this curiosity of like, I want to, even though I know how it ends, if it's, if it's like this, where it faces kind of those dark things so head on while keeping optimism when it can, that's pretty interesting to me. I'm, I'm kind of down with that idea. Overall, I think we're in agreement here that Andalite Chronicles specifically, but kind of the Animorph stuff, when you accept that it's written for kids, still holds up in a number of ways. And we want to hear from you, audience. Do you think these are dumb kids' books no one should ever read? Or are you as interested in we are? Have you read Animorphs now as an adult and think we should get on it right away? Let us know. You can find all the ways to contact us at hitmeonemoretime.com. You can email us or find us on social media. We want to hear from you. Nick, thanks for being here. Thanks for this pick, man. Uh, yeah, I thank you so much for reading along and then sharing your thoughts on it. And I, I look forward to the next episode. Oh, great. Where can people find you in between now and the next episode? They can find me on Twitter at Nick Shermuxis. That's S-E-R-M-U-K-S-N-I-S. Uh, or on Instagram at palblamshazam underscore art. Check it out, people. People want to find me. That's username Davluz. That's D-A-V-L-U-Z. Twitter, Instagram. See what I am up to there. And of course, you can find both of us on this show, which will be coming to you next week. Thank you, listening audience, for taking part in this week's episode. We do this show for you. We do this show because of you. Remember, you can't move forward if you're always looking back. We'll see you next time. Hey!